What is your relationship with the poor? How does God tell us to treat the poor? Are you ready to step outside of your bubble? This week, Pastor Shane Page brings us Off the Grid, Part 3. Okay, so... um... If you are visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. Um, kind of get my got to get my thoughts together. Got to get I got to get my bearings right. Uh, if uh, you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been doing this new series, a sermon series that we're calling "Off the Grid." And uh, what I thought we would be doing for these next few weeks is that we would be thinking about some of the habits, like lifestyle habits, that the Bible actually calls us to incorporate, what set the Christians apart from their society in the ancient world in biblical times and really even uh, up to today. One of my favorite passages that I've been uh, citing is from 1 John 2, 6. It's kind of my rough paraphrase, but John says, if we say we are Christians then we ought to live as Jesus lived. And the thing that we've done to Christianity is we've kind of reduced it to think that, well, Christianity is really just an opinion. Like if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then you just have a changed opinion. No, 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 no. i got to get this through to us. Christianity is a lifestyle. It is a way of living in the world that's supposed to seem so odd to everything and everybody else, especially that in the mainstream. Now, this has been a challenging few weeks I'm sort of embracing this. Everybody who uh, talks to me about my sermons say they're so challenging. At first, I got a complex about that. It's not like I'm trying to like make you wear football helmets or anything. Bam! I'm just gonna. But let's let's embrace it, right? It's a challenge. So a couple of weeks ago, the first thing I preached on is like God calls us. Jesus calls us to a lifestyle of simplicity. Like Jesus really does call us away from this chronic accumulation where we're always obsessed about things and wealth and stuff. Then last week. One of the things that Jesus calls us to, especially in this very individualistic culture, is he calls us to community. Like he calls us to be in fellowship with each other. You can't follow Jesus very well by yourself. you got to do it together. And so today we're going to talk about another habit that I have noticed. We could do ten things. We can't do ten. But I noticed another lifestyle habit that Jesus calls his followers to incorporate. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And it actually is based on this passage of Scripture that I'm going to read to us from Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. I could have chosen others, but I thought we would start here. I'm going to be reading from verse 16, if you have your Bible, from Luke's Gospel. The words will appear here on the screens for you. But let's hear what Jesus did. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written in Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I love this story. On our topic today, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking that, uh, you know, Jesus could have asked to read maybe another verse of scripture from the Torah or the Old Testament, but he chose this one, Isaiah 61. 
I mean, I was thinking, wow, he could have chosen to read from Exodus 34. One of the verses there which says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I know people who love that verse. Or Jesus could have chosen deliberately to read from Jeremiah 29. Some of us love verses of Scripture in that passage. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. You know this one? Plans to give you an expected end. But Jesus, right here in this passage, he chose deliberately to read from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolls the scroll and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And then he tells the congregation that that passage of Scripture was going to be his mission statement for the rest of his life. Now, Jesus would dine, if you read the Gospels, he would dine with the wealthy. He would make acquaintance with the well-to-do. But the thing is, is that Jesus never lost his compass, right? His magnetic north was going to be the poor. He was going to be about being in relationship with the poor. And if you want to live off the grid with Jesus, if you want to live differently, then be in friendship with the poor. And the question that you and I have to wrestle with today is that, are you and I, I'm under this too, are we friends, friends with the poor? Now notice I said friendship. I did not say service. This is not a social justice sermon where we do charity. No, I didn't say service. I'm talking friendship because it's possible, isn't it, to be very gung-ho about serving the poor and never really know the poor. And if you read the, your, your, your Bible, you study Christian history, one of the things that set the Christians apart from everybody else is that the poorest of the poor around them, they were in their company, just as Jesus intended it to be. They were friends together. You know, I mentioned it to you before, how we have uh, misinterpreted grossly that passage of Scripture where Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you. You know what I'm talking about? You know, and how we think what Jesus is saying, how we have interpreted it to mean is that, well, you see, we're off the hook. There's nothing you can do, so why bother serving the poor and caring for the poor? No, this would be like telling a young mother with small children, you know, your children shall always be with you. And then the young mother saying, yeah, you know what, you're right, I should be done with them. Why, why even bother anymore? No, you say your children to a young mother will always be with you because she's a young mother. They're always going to be with her in the same way Jesus is saying to his followers, the poor you will always have with you because you are my followers. They're always to be in your company. You know, someone uh, calculated that there are about 2,500 to 3,000 verses of Scripture in the Bible that refer to God's care, God's concern, for the poor. Over 2,500 verses of Scripture. 2,500. We kind of think the Bible is only about two things. 2,500 verses of Scripture. I'm not going to give you all 2,500. I got a couple that was coming to my mind this week. I got a Proverbs 14, 21. Whoever hurts a poor man insults God. Or Proverbs 21, 13 that says, Those who close their ears to the cries of the needy they will also cry out, and they will not be heard. Think about the New Testament letter of James, chapter 5. James says this, that God has chosen the poor of this world 
to be rich in faith. Or you think about Jesus and his Beatitudes in Luke's gospel. We think of Matthew, but Jesus in Luke's gospel says, Blessed are those who are what? Poor. Not poor in spirit. Luke's gospel is blessed are those who are poor. It's everywhere. It's everywhere on God's radar. Now, here's the thing that we got to do to be very careful with here. i got to say this before I get any deeper. we got to watch out falling into this trap. We have to avoid, how shall I put this, romanticizing the poor, like sentimentalizing the poor or poverty. Poverty is not sentiment. There's nothing romantic about poverty at all. It's not God's will for the world. I was thinking about John F. Kennedy. He was giving a speech on uh, poverty in the United States. And after he gave this great speech on poverty in our country, there was someone in the, in the audience like you raised his hand and said, uh, Mr. Kennedy, I have to ask you, do you know what it's like to be poor? Have you ever been poor? And President Kennedy said, no, I, I have to confess to you, I, I've never been poor before. And the man responded, well, you ain't missed a thing. It's about friendship. Right? We're not doing this to be sentimental about anything. And I've been thinking this week. I couldn't help it. I was thinking all week long. It was just hovering around me. You know, that story, and I preached on this last year. Some of you might have been here, but it was that story that Jesus told about this rich man. Do you remember the story about this rich man who lived behind his big fence, his big gate? And uh, it was a rich man, and then on, right on the outside of his gate. Do you remember the story? There was this poor man. Does anybody remember his name? Lazarus. So there's this poor man named Lazarus laying outside his gate. And then both of them died. And then Jesus says, in the next world, their roles completely reversed. So the rich man goes to the place of eternal torment. And then the poor man, Lazarus, goes to the place of paradise, you know, Abraham's bosom. And the thing that just gets to me about that story, it's kind of a warning, but it's a very curious thing, is that Notice that Jesus did not say that the rich man went to hell because of his wealth. Had nothing to do with it. He didn't actually do anything at all. See, the rich man committed not a sin of commission. It was a sin of omission. He didn't do anything. And the issue that Jesus was talking about is how the problem with the rich man is that he never struck an encounter with that poor man Lazarus. He never got to talk to him. He never got to know him. Only thing the rich man wanted in his life was to be separated from poor people like Lazarus. And when he died, he got exactly what he wanted. He was separate from poor people like Lazarus. Only Jesus said it was the place of torment. Now, and I remember preaching on this, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, most of us, well, we, don't, we don't have fences around our houses, big gates around our houses separating us from the poor. And I remember I kind of said in my sermon, no, what we have today are zip codes. We got county lines. We got school districts. You know, the thing about the rich man and Lazarus is that at least the rich man saw the poor man, but man... Isn't it true, depending on where you live, you can go days and weeks and months without ever seeing anybody who lives in what we would consider poverty at all? We've got to punch a plane ticket to go visit them. Or we've got to make a special trip to go see them. Uh, there's a, a sociologist. He's not even a Christian. He has been studying this phenomenon in our country right now where we're kind of growing apart, he says. And he's, he's not coming from the Bible at all. 
what he says is that if you go research how life was in the 1930s and 40s and 50s and 60s, he makes this argument that he said it was actually common to find the CEO of a certain company living among his workers in the same neighborhood. He says, that's no longer the case now. He says, here's what's happening in our country. And he said, this is what he's worried about. He says, right now you've got this growing division between very elite people who have been very successful. And he does not denounce the success. This is a good thing to be successful. He says, what's going on, though, is you've got these very successful people who are being raised in very successful families. They go off to college. Then they meet someone at that college who's very successful. And then they get married and have very successful children. And then they, uh, those children go to a very successful college. They meet someone very successful, and they get married, and they have very successful children. You see this, what's going on? He says, you got this pattern going on. you got this growing segment of elite people, which is great. It's success, but they're growing very distant from the rest of our country. And he says, the issue, he's not a Christian, remember. He says, the issue that he sees is that what's happening is that you've got an elite group of people who are now writing social policy for people they don't even know and never even met. And he says, not a Christian. This cannot be good for us not to be even in encounter with one another. Our country will be torn at its very fabric. There'll be a ton of anger. People will not understand each other. I know he's got this quiz in one of the books that he wrote, and it's called the uh, Do You Live in a Bubble Quiz? Do You Live in a Bubble? And it's about 35 questions. And the whole point of uh, answering, asking you these questions is that the more you say no to, the bigger your bubble happens to be. And so I thought I would share some of the questions he has with you. You ready for this, class? All right. Do you and I live in a bubble? These are just five of the questions. Uh, you can find this online, but do you live in a bubble? Here's one. He says, have you ever lived for at least one year in a neighborhood where the majority of your neighbors do not have college degrees? Yes or no? Did you grow up in a household whose income was below the poverty level? Have you ever walked on a factory floor? Have you ever held a job that caused a body part to hurt at the end of the day, not counting headaches or carpal tunnel syndrome? Have you? Have you ever purchased Avon products? I don't know what that means. (laughs) Bubble. (laughs) Do you know who Jimmy Johnson is? Yes. I know that. I've been to his house. He's a great guy with a great family. But, you know, you can go on and on and on. In all seriousness, though, do you live in a bubble? Do you and I live in this bubble? And the thing about Jesus is that Jesus, absolutely, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, he's going to call you out of your bubble. It's very easy for us to kind of live in our comfortable little bubbles we can, we can just cast aspersions on people who are poor and say, oh, they're bums. But I'll tell you, once you get to know someone, that's what I'm talking about today. Once you get to know someone and you see their circumstances and you see what challenges they face, all of a sudden it becomes very hard to level all of our little epithets at people we don't even know. 
thinking about one of my favorite stories. Some of you relate to this, uh, that my family and I, we watch every single December right before Christmas, and it's uh, a Christmas carol. And it's the Christmas Carol with George C. Scott, which is now the definitive edition of A Christmas Carol. No arguments. From George C. Scott. Now, those of you who know this, right? I mean, so here, here, is, here is Scrooge, and the ghost of, of Christmas present sends him into the home of who? What was the name of the family? The Cratchits. Remember this poor family. But before Scrooge actually saw the Cratchits and saw how they lived, you remember how Scrooge thought about things? He said to himself, well... I'm taxed enough, aren't I? Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? If they die, let the poor die and decrease the surplus population. And then the ghost of Christmas present comes to him and sends him to the home of Bob Cratchit with his son. What was the name of the son? Tiny Tim. Let's watch one of my favorite clips from that movie. Roll the tape. And God bless us, everyone. Tell me, Spirit, will he live? I see a vacant place at this table. I see a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No. No, say you will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my species will find him here. But if he is to die, then let him die and decrease the surplus population. You use my own words against me. So perhaps in the future you will hold your tongue until you have discovered what the surplus population is and where it is. It may well be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Boy, what a powerful scene that is. Until you discover who the surplus population is, right? And then Scrooge became a friend. He got to know this family. It converted him. It converted him. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. Did you know that he confesses to having lived in a bubble? There was a time in his life where he confesses that he thought the reason the poor were poor is because, well, maybe it was their own decision. Maybe they wanted to be this way. And then he started reading the Gospels over and over where Jesus says, I am going to come to you. I am going to visit you in the guise of people who are hungry, who need some clothing. And whether you fed me or not will determine on how you're going to be judged. And, and John Wesley said, i got to take this seriously. And he goes out and he starts visiting the poor. And John Wesley says, I had a conversion experience. I thought it was all black and white. And he saw how these people were filled with anxiety and they, they bore shame in their souls. They, they didn't, and this is not something that they enjoyed. They saw how merchants, he, he talks about how merchants treated them in shops. He even talks about how they would go to the, the hospitals and how the hospitals would treat them so much differently. And then John Wesley, in one of his sermons, he said something that was so mm, challenging. He says, once he got to know a family who was poor, he realizes that the one belief that is set on the fire of hell 
The one belief that comes straight from the devil himself is the belief that the poor are poor because they want to be or because they are lazy. That is the belief he, John Wesley, said is set on the fire of hell. And John Wesley said that the reason that the rich don't usually care about the poor is because they don't know each other. And John Wesley then encouraged the people called Methodists to get, some, get to know some people. Come out of your bubble. Make friends. John Wesley actually said something I love. He said that this experience of his of getting to know a poor family, he said he realizes that it is so much better to carry aid and relief to the poor instead of sending it. You see the difference? It's better to carry aid, he said, to the poor, not just to send it. You can send a check. You can send a package. That is good. But when you have a face-to-face encounter with someone who is different from you, that's what John Wesley's talking about. That's when your relationship with Jesus will really be deepened. You ever had an experience like that? I was thinking I was going to end my sermon and tell you about the experience that I had that really radically converted me. I was like, nope, nope, I'm not going to do that. Why don't I ask some of the people who are here? What I did last week is I sent some people some questions who are a part of some ministries at Harrison Church where we don't just send the aid. You've got to carry it, and there's a face-to-face encounter. And I, and I asked them all, all the same question. I said, tell me about how that experience changed you or even converted you. And they responded. I've got to share with you what some of them said. One of them is a part of our room in the end where we have served the homeless, and it's face-to-face, and she said this, she said that that experience made me realize that, that any of us could be in their situation at any time. We think we're invulnerable. We're not as invulnerable as we think. And, and then she said this, she says, my conversion has come in learning and believing that none of the stuff we have is really important. Relationships and a feeling of connection, that's what really matters. Another leader of the of Room in the Inn, she said this, that she said that her friendship that she made with people who are homeless or poor, she says, it made me realize that I was far more judgmental than I thought I was. And then she says, now I realize there's no room for judgment. Life can be so complex. But the message of Jesus is so simple. Love one another. There was somebody else I had a conversation with this week, and she went to the hills of Kentucky on what we call our Redbird trip. And they go there, and they're, they're among the poorest of the poor in the United States. And she says she spent time with a very young 28-year-old woman. I believe her name was Brittany. And she spent the, almost the whole week with her, just talking with her, getting to know her. And, and I asked her, I said, well, how did that make you feel? What happened to you? And she says, well, it just made me realize that even though these people are so destitute, they're so human. And they really want the same things that you and I do. And then she used the same word that another person used. They just need a connection. They just need a connection. I have learned in my own experience that the poor don't need our pity. They they don't need your sympathy. And they don't need my sympathy. What they need is a connection. How many of you in this room right now got your job or got into college because you were able to write somebody's name on your resume or on your college application as a reference. Anybody do that? I bet you did. Yeah. The poor don't have that. And I've talked to people about this, like, what would it mean if you and I made friends with someone who was poor and they could put your name on a, on a resume? They're trying to get ahead. And then they could cite you. 
uh, Tony Campolo, evangelical Christian, fiery preacher. He once said to, in one of his sermons to a church, he says that when all of us die and get to heaven, we're going to meet St. Peter at the pearly gates. And then St. Peter's going to say, hey, uh, before I let you in, do you have a letter of recommendation from someone who's poor? See, the poor need your letter of recommendation in this life, and it may very well be the case that we're going to need theirs in the next. This is not a sermon to make you feel guilty. It's a sermon to say, you in a bubble? If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to come out of your bubble. Mother Teresa, I think, said it so well. She said this. She says, Jesus did not come to start a class warfare. Jesus came to start a class encounter. Where the rich save the poor, and the poor save the rich. Together. You know, I could tell you to get involved in some of our ministries here, and I can get that information to you. Room in the Inn, Rescue Mission, Urban Ministry. I talked to someone right before the service, said he goes to Urban Ministry. That's his discipline because it gets him out of his bubble. I could tell you about Redbird. We got all kinds of information for you, but really the, mas- the most important thing I can tell you is to pray to God, get me out of my bubble. Because I'm going to tell you, if you pray that prayer, I've been praying that prayer. I'm in a bubble. You pray that prayer, God will get you out of your bubble. It's kind of like a woman uh, have told me that once they got pregnant, they never saw, uh, well, before they got pregnant, they never noticed anybody who was pregnant. Then after they got pregnant, everybody's pregnant. Is that true? <laughs> you know, if you ask God to get you out of the bubble, you'll see him question is not to serve, to feel pity, but how can we be in friendship with people? This was the text that drove Jesus the rest of his life. I came to preach good news to them. He made friends with them. Jesus did not come to create class warfare. He came to create a class encounter. We just sang a moment ago, I am a friend of God, and you are. But God's friends are the poor. We're going to be friends with God. We'll be friends with them. Let us live differently. Let us come out of our bubble. Let us pray. Well, gracious and loving God, you came on that Sabbath day and you said, I've come to preach good news to the poor. Lord, do we live in a bubble? Help us, your people, to take the words of Jesus in his way so differently and so seriously because what you really want from us is our conversion. So I pray that those who are here today will begin to say, Lord, open my eyes. Take me out of my bubble and and you're going to send people. You're going to send your friends. And they'll be changed. We'll be changed. And we will know you on a level we could not have comprehended before. Transform us, Lord. Give us a heart that longs for the things that you care about. Let us be your friends together. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Harrison Church. To stay connected to Harrison Happenings, please follow us on Facebook or Twitter at HarrisonUMC or online at HarrisonChurch.org.